So I've been asked to uh, talk a little bit about the Lord's Prayer and Healing. And uh, we're talking about healing, talking about, uh, I'm not talking about the medical approach to it. There's two kinds of wounds, um, physical and spiritual. When you get a physical wound, uh, obviously, like if you cut yourself with a knife, that makes a physical wound. And the severity of a wound like that depends on how deep you cut it, where you cut yourself, and so forth. And over time, as the wound heals, generally leaving, it, 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 the pain, uh, generally speaking, the pain decreases till all you have left is a scar. You can't really remember what happened, unless it was a really uh, traumatic wound. A spiritual wound is analogous to a physical wound, because a spiritual wound is a result of a trauma or an event in someone's life that left an impression on them that sometimes they can, sometimes they can remember the event and sometimes they can't, uh, you know, because a, a child can be wounded in utero. They get, um, and uh, so it depends on the seriousness of the trauma or the event. The trauma that causes uh, wounds, spiritual wounds, can rage from self-inflected wounds, which result from every sin, because every sin wounds us to a certain degree, and the more dramatic the sin or the more perverse it is to right reason and so forth, the deeper the wound or wounds that are inflicted on us that are no fault of our own, uh, like being violently assaulted, um, being conceived outside of marriage, things like that. Those all leave wounds. And they're, they're certainly not the person who's, who's suffering those wounds. They're not their fault, but it doesn't mean they're not wounded, because that's an actual wound. And, uh, but unlike the typical progression of a, a physical wound, which goes from like pain to healing to just a scar, typically a spiritual wound will remain present. And the reason is because in spite the fact that they cause pain, people typically don't know how to heal from them. And, uh, but because a, sor- a wound is a source of pain, uh, the, the, the response typically is to build a barrier around the spiritual wound so we can live with it and protect ourselves uh, from that pain. And those barriers come out in certain kinds of behavior. Um, there's certain personality quirks and... and uh, and traits and behaviors that serve to protect us from that pain. You can see them sometimes expressed as anger or or, or resentment or fear or hatred of certain people or situations, not being able to deal with with crowds or or living a lot in the past or in the future. You know, people are just really preoccupied about their past or they're really living in the future and they're all worried about what's going to happen. And so those are these weird personality quirks that are a response to it. And... uh, it's pretty easy. I, I, I'm not, you know, I can talk about those later, but it's pretty easy if, if you're familiar with these things. You can actually tell a lot of times what particular wound is someone struggling with, depending on the, a turn in a conversation. Well, all of a sudden, there's no proportion between what was said and the kind of reaction that comes up and all that. A lot of times, that's a result of someone protecting themselves because it's a wounded area, and so they're just doing something. And, we, and if you're aware of that, you have to be sensitive to that sort of situation and kind of move away um, insofar as you're aware. Most of the, a lot of times people aren't, it just totally catches them out because there'll be this response like, what was all that about? Anyway, so that's a brief summary of the idea of woundedness. There's a lot more that could be said, but it's just enough to get an idea of what a spiritual wound is. We all have it anyway, except for Our Lady, because we have one from original sin and the, and the damages from that. So there, there's, there's stuff that we come packaged deal just by by that, and then there's things that are a result of our behavior or things that have happened to us in life. And there's more details. There's there's a good. There's other people that have spoken in detail. Father Chad Ripperger has some really good conferences on him on his website, and when he has uh, 
four, four to five minute long spiritual conferences dealing with wounds and healing. Okay, so all that by way of a background because I want to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer, of course, is the, the best of all prayers. It's the most perfect prayer because it's the Lord's Prayer. It's taught to us by Christ himself. And by that prayer, one of the ways we can approach it is he, our Lord is teaching us how to heal and how to return to this paradise uh, that was lost by Adam. So the Lord's Prayer, we're saying it's the best of all prayers because it is the Lord's Prayer. It's taught to us by our Lord himself. And by this prayer, among other things, our Lord has taught us how to heal and how to return uh, to th that state lost by Adam in a certain sense, of course. Uh, and I, I quote from a spiritual writer, Prayer isn't debt we owe to God. A debt of adoration because he's our Lord and God. A debt of thanksgiving because he's our first and greatest benefactor. A debt of sorrow because we have offended him by our sins. So I'll just go through it phrase by phrase. So our Father, Jesus taught us how to pray, starting by reminding us that we're God's adopted children. We're reminded as we begin this prayer that God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son so that we could be healed and return to him. He's truly a father that loves his children. And he wants them to be happy. He's the father of all fathers. He loves us and wants us to have a close, loving relationship with him. Each one of us, he wants that. His mercy is greater than any sin we could have possibly committed. He knows what we've done. And even though he knew and he knew from all eternity, he still chose to adopt us and make us heirs of heaven. And he who owes us nothing loves us. He writes about that. We can read about that in First John, uh, the third, the first epistle of St. John, the chapter 3, especially. It's a beautiful chapter there. He wants us to know we're never alone, that we belong to a big heavenly family who love us. God knows our hurts, our wounds, and our fears. He loves us and wants us only to be freed from those pains, free to love and to be loved, free to be the vessel of charity he made us to be. We truly are his beloved children. Who art in heaven, reminded that we're adopted children of God, and, um, our, our God, our Father in heaven, we're supposed to fix our gaze on heaven. Our purpose here on earth is to continually journey towards heaven, the destination that Adam lost for us. We're to return to that union with our Father in heaven. We should continually fix our gaze on heaven and never take our focus off that goal. As we move our way along on this journey, there'll be many temptations to look elsewhere, to turn aside, to get all caught up in the things of this world, all these things that are just passing away. In the process, we can lose focus of heaven. This journey, which should be a healing journey, is a journey, a return to our Father's house in heaven, a journey to attain that union with the, with the Father that Adam lost, a journey to be set free to be the vessel of charity we were created to be. When we pray this line, who art in heaven, we should remember that we belong to our Father in heaven. And we're striving to enter his heavenly abode where he's prepared a room for us, as he tells us in John 14 and verse 2. Hallowed be thy name. We owe to God a debt, a debt of adoration because he's our Lord and God, a debt of thanksgiving because he's our first and greatest benefactor, a debt of sorrow because we have offended him by our sins. And here our Lord is reminding us of how absolutely important it is for us to render by grace and in our own completely insufficient way, because we don't want to say something uh, heretical right now. But here our Lord is reminding us of how important it is that we render unto God what we owe him. And the name of someone is more than just a word. A person's name represents and stands for everything that person is and everything he stands for. A name truly stands for who that person is, which is why we should never hurt the good name of anyone. It's also the reason the name of God is holy. 
That's why His name should be glorified by us. Why we should not only glorify God by our words, but by our actions and by the lives we lead. In the Haydock commentary we read, the honor and glory of God should be the principal subject of our prayers and the ultimate end of our every action. Every other thing must be subordinate to this. It's important for us on this healing journey to realize we owe a debt to God, that God owes us nothing, and yet He's made us in His image and likeness. He's made us to be vessels of His charity, to love and to be loved. Jesus reminds us in this prayer that our Father is holy, that He's to be honored and loved by all men, but this Father is a loving Father. He wants us to model ourselves after Him and become only ourselves. Thy kingdom come. In this healing journey, we are begging for God's kingdom to come while we are on earth. We are begging to be healed to reach union with God. Our Lord is teaching us that each one of us should desire and beg for healing. We can reach union on earth. We should desire this and beg God to heal us so His kingdom will come in our life. There's something called the transforming union, which I don't want to go too far off the, this, but a person like the great saints read the, reach this incredible union. It's not the union they'll have in heaven, but they're, they're as it were, on the front porch. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Lord is teaching us that on this healing journey, it's so important for us to die to ourselves and to want what God wills for us. Otherwise, we'll let our little per- personality quirks and our wounds lead us around, and then we're never satisfied. We're never happy because we're not letting God be the king of our heart. When we truly want to be healed, then we want uniformity with God's will, and we can start healing from our hurts, wounds, and personality quirks. We can finally be the person God made us to be. We can let him out to grow, Then he's free to love and be loved. He's free to be, do God's will on earth, and as he heals, he'll start living more and more for God. God's will then become first in his life, and he will desire more and more to please God in all things. He'll want more and more to give God glory and to render unto him his due, not because he has to, but because if he's been filled more and more with charity, so he's filled with this desire to do that because he truly loves God as his Father in heaven. As he heals, he will let God more and more into his life, and as the wounds are healed, God fills those places with charity till eventually he'll be able to say with St. Paul, And I live, now not lie, but Christ liveth in me. Give us this day our daily bread. Our Lord teaches us to pray for what we need this day, in this present moment, in the now. And in this prayer, we're praying for all that we need to get through the day, both physically and spiritually. Remind that Jesus came to save us, that he came to heal us if we but ask him to. When we share in a meal with another, it's more than just eating together. It's real bonding that's very significant. It's a special way of bonding that's unlike any other way to bond. We're made to bond in this intimate sort of a way. And even if people don't think about it, they know on some level, which is why uh, when, you look, when you look out there, people go out to more to eat than any other form of recreation that they do. What was the last thing our Lord did with his friends before he went up to the cross? What was the last thing he did with his friends before he was assumed, or ascended into heaven? Both times it was a meal. Both times. It's very significant. Our Lord came to save us. What better way to unite with us? Let us know that he does not reject us, but accepts us completely to share a meal with us. And even more so since he actually gives himself to us, this incredible, beautiful act of charity when we receive the most blessed sacrament of the altar. He gives himself to us to nourish us and to come into every part of us, to fill us with his charity and to heal us. So you want to make sure when you receive Holy Communion, you invite him to every area that's hurt or needs to be healed, including areas that you're not even aware of. Because it isn't an exercise to remember everything. This isn't some kind of weird psychological thing where you have to lay there and try to recreate your life. If you have walls around parts of your life, there's a good reason for them, and you don't want to tear those down. You want to invite our Lord behind him, and he'll take those down slowly. I can talk about that a little maybe later. But uh, one should remember to continue to make spiritual communions for the same purpose, inviting our Lord in to heal us. 
And you know, you can send your angel off every 10 minutes. You can ask your angel every day to go every 10 minutes to a holy mass being offered by a holy priest somewhere in the world, because there are some, and to offer it up for your healing and then to return with the spiritual communion. Your angel will do that. Our Lord loves to be a part of our life every moment of our every day, not just Sundays and holy days, but every day. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, one of the most important things, and I have to say, in my experience, I think, with working with people, and, and a lot of my priesthood for the past about decade has revolved more about, around healing than anything else. I think one of the most important things in spiritual healing is forgiveness. I think if, in the people I've worked with, that's been the most important thing. One must first be willing to forgive others. This forgiveness has to come from the heart, has to come from the will. We don't have to forget what happened because people are confused by that. If, no, for another reason, the devil's going to make sure you don't forget. So we don't have to forget what happened, but we do have to forgive and let that pain go. Now, sometimes the pain is too big or too deep. And we don't actually know what's causing it, so we can't forgive or let go of it. And that's why it's so important on this journey to ask our Lord and Our Lady to come into those areas to heal us and help us to forgive and let go of the pain, to give it to them with an open heart, to will it with all of our being, truly will it and desire it. We'll talk about how to do that in just a few minutes. Now, at times we've been hurt so deeply we're unable to forgive. But if we beg our Lord to forgive for us and will it, then our Lord will give those graces over time. Those graces will enable us to finally forgive. Now, there's, most of these stories I can't tell, but this is a story that I can. Uh, years ago, I was talking to a priest. At that time, he was the only full-time exorcist in the United States. And... Uh, he had a case of a young man, and uh, the condition for him to be delivered from these devils, and he, he beat it out of the devils, so they have to tell the priest, and they have to tell the truth, which they hate. Well, the condition is he had to forgive his parents. Uh, well, okay, but he's, he's uh, possessed. He's about 18, 20 years old, I don't remember, and his parents have been Satanists. So since infancy, he'd been tortured. I'm not even going to get into it, but, you know, every possible way by his parents. I mean, tortured, satanically tortured, until he ran away, and he had devils. And yet that priest had him delivered within a year. I said, well, and I was telling him, wow, Padre, that's, that's morally impossible. That's a, a moral miracle. And that's a greater miracle than digging a grave up and raising somebody from the dead to get somebody to forgive under those circumstances, because you can't forgive that. It isn't in the human to be able to do it. And he says, you're absolutely right, Father. It is a miracle. And I said, so, you know, how, how do you do that? This is very early in my priesthood. It's one of the most important conversations I've had in my life. And he said, well, what you do, what I did with this young man, is just said, all right, Lord, I can't forgive them, but you forgive them for me. So I'm going to invite you into all those events in my life. I'm turning that over to you. I'm opening that up to you, and you forgive them. Now, you don't want to review those events. Because there's walls around stuff like that for a reason. That's how a person gets through life, you know, and doesn't just fall apart in a big gooey mess. And uh, so it's not some psychological thing. But our Lord knows that, and he'll come in gently, and you just keep praying that prayer. And within a year, he actually loved his parents. Didn't like them. How could you like people? Because love and like aren't the same thing. Everybody loves their teenagers. They don't always, always like them. But because uh, love is an act of the will. Like is an emotional response. And uh, so he wanted his parents to be in heaven. And so within a year, he could forgive it. Now, that's, that's really uh, beautiful. But So in spite of the unspeakable wounds, because of uh, without a, within about a year of reaching out to our Lord in that kind of prayer, he was able to forgive our parents, his parents. 
Now, as we forgive others and ask others to forgive us any wrong, it's important we try to repair the wrong we've done. If it's possible, we should make restitution for that wrong. Not because it's the lawful thing to do, that's not the only reason, but more importantly, when we right a wrong, we're more easily able to forgive ourselves and then we don't have as much guilt that we have to try to heal from. So an effort to restore the wrong shows that we're truly sorry and we want to be forgiven. It shows an act of the will. And humbling ourselves and asking forgiveness shows the same thing if we ask with a contrite heart, really wanting forgiveness, and it's not some superficial exercise, huh? It's really, really important to recognize with wounds of all sorts, especially the deep wounds, there's a need to forgive oneself. And this is going to sound funny, even if we had no fault in the wounds, even we did no wrong in causing the wound. It's essential to understand with wounds of all sorts, especially deep wounds, there's a need to forgive oneself, even if we did no wrong in causing the wound. It's not because we're guilty, because there's a spirit of forgiveness needed where we forgive ourselves and love ourselves in that hurt, realizing that we can be loved in that wound. For example, if we're exalted violently as a child, We'll have built, we'll build barriers and personality quirks around that wound so we continue with life and deal with the pain and trauma. And as we start uh, healing and forgive the attacker, we also are going to have to need to forgive ourselves. Now that doesn't sound uh, commonsensical, but it's true. Why? As it turns there's going to be out, there's going to be a certain amount of guilt and shame associated with a wound. In our brokenness, we, we will blame ourselves, and especially a child can't work their way through those kind of things. So they must have done something to cause this. I mean, this happened to me, so I must have done something. It takes a, a lot of virtue not to have that happen in a violent attack, even for an adult. There's going to be this in there, and people won't know that. So it's really important to identify that. And so there's a certain amount of guilt and shame associated with the wound. In our brokenness, we, we blame ourselves for it. We hold on to such a wound. We hold on to the pain as if we deserve it in some sense, because it's our pain, it's our wound, and at some level, there's a real common pattern of thought. You know, No one else can really understand or feel the pain like I do, so it's mine. It'll always be mine, and I have to deal with it all by myself. I have to do it alone. It's my pain, and I have to bear it. But the point is we need to be able to forgive ourselves, forgive everyone involved in the situation, and let the wound be healed. It's also common, if we've suffered a great trauma, that we get the idea we're dirty, we have no value. We may be very well beginning viewing ourselves like some uh, animal or object, and that has predictable results. They're catastrophic. To take another common example, suppose someone were a real party animal in his youth, and later on in life he repented of his rowdy behavior. That might actually be quite easy to be healed of, and people won't realize why that is. One typical result of rowdy behavior, of being a part of party animal, is a sort of perverse pride in that sinful way of life, sort of a perverse pride that he can drink and carry on with the best of them, etc., etc. And because his perverse pride is associated with the wound, he may not want to let go of the prideful attitude, even though his sins hurt our Lord and our Lady, and if he doesn't specifically want to let go of that pride, if he doesn't will it, he won't heal. And he can't actually heal there. And the thing about this is this may not be a fully conscious decision on his part. He may not be aware of it. He has to have an awareness of what he's doing. Typically, it doesn't come from himself because we can't see ourselves. A confessor, a priest, a director, a good spiritual friend can point that out to him and help him see it. It's key in this, too, to pray, inviting the Holy Spirit to come into his heart and life. Come, Holy Spirit, help me to see myself as you see me and to love myself as you love me. That's a really important prayer. Help me... Come, Holy Spirit, help me see myself as you see me and help me love myself as you love me. Then he has to beg for the graces to completely reject this sort of prideful attitude, to let go of it, and the personality quirks of the traits that he, that he produced in response to it and that made him take pride in disgraceful behavior and sin. He needs to completely reject this because it hurts his relationship with God because it's actually a barrier between him and God. 
Another common situation involves sins that someone fully chose to do, then after the fact he's very ashamed of. It's very common with certain types of sins, for example, um, being involved in abortion. Our country actually has millions and millions of women in this condition. They even have a name for this wound, which is called being post-abortal. It's a, it's a deep wound. And, and, you know, it doesn't mean, some of them, they just get on with it. You know, I've had women where they didn't feel it at all because they, they, they were just that kind of a person where they just get on with life and all that. But they, they have that really deep wound there. And then they don't even get aware of it because it's just kind of the, where they're coming from. They had to deal with that. Other ones, they kind of fall apart even by talking this much about it. But because of her shame, uh, it, the tendency is to bury this sin deep uh, within herself. And nevertheless, She'll sometimes have anger, depression because of it, but it isn't necessarily associated with it at all. It's just something going on. And she may very well have confessed it, but she can't forgive herself. She believes God could forgive her because she's, he's God, but she can't forgive herself. She's positive that others wouldn't forgive her except her if they only knew the things she'd done in her past. And so she buries this wound deep within herself, hoping it never comes out again. But the simple fact is, is that healing is impossible with a buried wound. She needs to invite our Lord and Our Lady in those areas, beg them to heal the sores, beg them to help her forgive herself, and ask them to take this wound, take all the pain away. She can even try pitching herself in prayer, handing the whole situation over to our Lord. In a few minutes, I'll have more to say about that. It's actually pretty common in these situations for the severely wounded person to have a perverse sort of pride associated with the event. What do I mean by that is that they don't see it as pride, but the wounded person may think, you know, in so many words, and I mean, I've had people literally say, I could write it down. They start and I go, I'll finish your sentence for you because it goes just like this. I've hurt Jesus so very much that I can't burden with this awful wound and pain that I've created. It's mine, so I, I, I deserve to have to deal with it myself. But as soon as they do that, what has happened in this, without recognizing it, they become too proud to let our Lord take the pool prayer away. In other words, in effect what she's saying, it's my mess, I'm just going to have to take care of it, I pay my debts, so I can't really ask our Lord to pay it for me after all he's done. So after I deal with it, and then after I get everything sorted out and under control, then I'll go out to him freely without hurting him again. And that's really dangerous because, to be fair, the thought process usually doesn't seem to be that developed. But what she needs to understand, that if she were able to do that, if she were debt-free, then she would need a savior. Because that's really what this is a temptation from, from our brokenness. And, you know, except for Our Lady, we all come into life with that, that original sin and that brokenness. And so this is a very natural, and I mean that, a natural line of thinking to start thinking like that. You don't really see that I do need a Savior. We all have debts we can't pay. We're all in need of a Savior. We all have debts we can't pay, and our Lord knows full well that we can never pay Him. What on earth does He need from us anyway? He doesn't need anything from us. He's God. He's got it all. He fits the job description. There isn't a single thing that God needs from us at all. And so in spite of the fact that God doesn't need anything from us, in spite of the fact that he's perfectly intent and happy in himself, nevertheless, the second person of the most blessed Trinity, our Lord and Savior, became man and came down here and chose to pay our debts. And this is the amazing thing about, the whole, about our whole, it's just the most amazing thing about reality is that God cares about us that much. One of the most important aspects of forgiveness is to recognize this. Now, here's another one that people won't understand. But right away, you'll start seeing. One of, another very important aspect of forgiveness is not to forget we have to make sure that we've forgiven God from the bottom of our hearts. Now, that might sound blasphemous. It's not because God has anything to, to, that he needs to be forgiven for. That would be blasphemous. But oftentimes, like when we've been seriously hurt, like a child that's been violently assaulted. There's a tendency to blame God. Why, if you love me, did you let something like this happen to me? 
you're God, you could have stopped it. Why didn't you protect me? I was too little to protect myself, and so on. There's a very, very common uh, kind of thought pattern associated with, with, with wounds. And in those certain situations, we've placed a certain amount of blame on God. In our hearts, we're wounded and disappointed and hurt because God was not our hero. In this case, he let us get hurt, he let us down, so to speak. Well, that's certainly not the case because God was there in every one of those events, suffering with us. He's paying the price for the sin. He's hurting for us much, much deeper than we'll know. This is an analogy, an analogy's limp, but uh, it's like a mother watching a child take a serious fall out of a tree and gets hurt. And it's, the mother feels the pain and suffering of her child in a different way than the child, but quite probably uh, she's going to feel it even more than the child feels it in a different way. It breaks her heart that, 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 that he was hurt in, in this particular situation. So we have free will. It's an amazing gift. God doesn't want to take that away from us, but he can fix our hurt if we run to him, if we give it to him fully, not holding anything back. He'll fix it. He's God. He came to save sinners. So the key is to let him. We need to forgive God so we can trust him and love him. We need to be able to see that God didn't leave us. He's the only one that knows the hurt as we do. He understands what we went through, our pain, our guilt, and our sorrow. He loves us anyway. He loves us in the wound. He's standing right there. And in this healing, like invite him in, like I was talking about the, the guy growing up in the, in the family of Satanists. What you're doing is you're permitting him to, to sit there and come in at that particular moment since he's out of sight of time. He can work outside time. And so he comes into the moment where he was standing there hurting with you. And then he comes into that moment in a way where he's just standing there waiting for you in each one of these things. And he's waiting to take that and help you and heal that and lift you up right then. Our Lord loves most tenderly when we're hurt. As our Lord sister said to Saint sister, sister Josepha Mendez, Do not be discouraged, for this act of humility which your fault drew from you has consoled me more than if you had not fallen. When we're able to forgive, we're able to let go of a huge weight that's held us prisoner. We're held in bondage by a lack of forgiveness, but when we really are able to start praying and inviting heaven to those wounds, um, the, the barrier is slowly broken down. We're able to start forgiving and let go of the pain. We're being set free. The last aspect of forgiveness I want to touch on is the need to let others forgive us and let God forgive us. Sometimes people won't accept forgiveness. For whatever reason, they want to hold other people's faults over their heads, and they don't let them forget how they wronged us. You know, so they're married, they, you know, and they just got that club. You know, I remember what you did two years ago, and they just get it out the right moment, whack, and then they push, put it away. Of course I forgive you. They didn't forgive anything. They just got that thing tucked away to use as a weapon, you know, later in the thing. That's not forgiveness. The world, the devil, and our flesh will constantly be throwing up temptations to make, uh, at us to do those kind of things. To, but we've got to get rid of those kind of grudges. They'll prevent us from healing. When we don't let others forgive us, when we don't forgive them, we don't let others forgive us, we reject forgiveness, we're rejecting God in our lives. Okay? It's, it's just like people, they won't come to the confessional because they think that, uh, that, you know, they think that God is too big, or maybe they don't want God's forgiveness. There's literally nothing that can be done to accept forgiveness from others and from God. And lead us not into temptation. As we travel on this healing journey, it's super important to realize we'll encounter many obstacles that will attempt, try to tempt us to turn back. And the, those are the three enemies I just mentioned a minute ago, but the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're going to constantly be throwing up uh, obstacles to try to get us to turn around. We have to keep begging our Lord to lead us out of those temptations and to keep our focus on calling out to Him to help us overcome them, to give us the grace we need to never fall, never give, or never fall into despair, never give up. We're asking for God's help to lead us out of sin and away from self, away from the devil, and away from the world. In the sense, not of the beauty of the world, but the worldly spirit. 
We're asking for God's help to die to self and let him live in us. We're asking for God to lead us to his kingdom, to lead us to heaven. We're asking for God's help to help free us from sin, vices, and personality quirks that tend to hold us captive. But deliver us from evil. Finally, we're begging God to deliver us, to remove all evil from us, so we can be free to love and to be loved. Once we're delivered from all evil, we've been set free. We're also praying that we be protected from evil. And though it may be all around us, and we may well have to battle it, we'll be delivered or freed from it entering our souls because we've been healed. Um, you know, that's really important, is uh, the main avenue on an attack from the devil into a person's life is through wounds. And, uh, and so, just in general, you should get in a habit of, of closing yourself. You make an act of the will when you go into public, or get in, you should just do it every day. But you make an act of will to close yourself to any spirit that's not of the Holy Spirit. And so that'll close your senses when you just make an act of will that I'm not open to anything that isn't from heaven. This is going to be more and more important in a country like ours that's going into more and more paganism, and you have a lot more things, so to speak, in the air than we ever have before. We're just descending into this. But if you close yourself, you've really, you, you may, you, you know, just make an act of will, I close myself to any spirit that's not a Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that we don't, that we're not going to be tempted or attacked. That's the human condition. But what it does mean is, is, you know, all of a sudden, instead of having a bunch of screen doors, we've closed the doors. You know, they still can. But wounds are the principal venues of attack. And, uh, and, and so, the, as, as we get healed, as, uh, you know, as we get healed, they, you're closed more and more from those kind of uh, attacks. As long as you're closing yourself um, in senses and wounds, we'll keep those things from coming in easily. As long as we don't let ourselves be led into temptation, we can have evil all around us, but remain completely at peace uh, if, if we've been delivered from evil and we've lighted, invited our Lord to live within us. Because a Christian... The, the Christian life is really being able to have a deep sense of peace. And I'm not saying that you feel it, although you can, but there's a spiritual peace that you carry everywhere, no matter what's going on. That's why St. Maximilian Kolbe was happy and at peace in Auschwitz. He wasn't like happy in a sense of like, Yahoo, this is fun, it tickles and stuff like that. It was a nightmare in that sense. But he could have a great deep peace because he's at peace with God in him. And he also knows that if this is where I am, that's where God wants me right now doesn't mean that you're not praying to be delivered, but it's this profound trust in God because he's healed and he can go into those kind of situations without fear. He's, and and, and that, that, that isn't some kind of foolish thing where you volunteer for it, but we're in it. You say, well, God will take care of me. I pray to be removed from this, but until then, I'll be it. So if, you can, if he can keep at peace in Auschwitz, we can keep at peace here. But, but that's not natural. That comes from Christ, huh? So we need that. So as long as we don't turn our ways, eyes from the Lord, we can be sure He'll remain within us, protecting us from evil, and continuously healing us through, continually healing us through the sacrament of penance and the most blessed sacrament of the altar. We can be sure that if we want to be healed and keep asking the Lord to heal us, then we'll be healed. Amen. I'll make one more remark because I don't want to keep longer on this here. But if a person is, so that's on the Lord's prayer, but if a person decides to set on this healing journey, there's two things that you're going to notice that are going to seem very, very strange. And, and uh, the first thing is if you're really serious about healing, all of a sudden stuff's going to get a lot more painful. You're going to be miserable inside and all that. This is be, it, it's exactly analogous to lancing a boil. You have a really bad boil. You've got to get that pus out, and it hurts till all the pus comes out. If a person is starting to heal, what they've done is they're inviting our Lord into the area, and that's like taking a manhole cover off, and all this stuff's going to come out. So suppose somebody really got a, had a horrible event when they're four years old. They've been walking around 
with a lid on that all those years. When they go to take that off, it's not going to process out like they understand. But they're just going to, things are going to feel horrible. There's going to be all this stuff going on. What is going I must be doing something wrong. I'm praying to the Lord and everything is worse inside me. That's actually a good sign because it's pain going out. It's different than a hangover. That well, You did that one, you know. This is pain. In response to prayer, when you get that kind of pain, that's a beautiful sign. It will end, just like Lance in the boil. When, when everything's out there, it'll start, and then it'll heal. But it's a sign of healing, because it's a sign that something that was in there, our Lord is starting to ruin. He doesn't do it all at once. It wouldn't be good for a couple reasons. You wouldn't keep praying, number one. And number two, it keeps you, it, it, there's, there's a sort of a, an equilibrium that you're going to get because there's all this weird stuff that you've been doing that you didn't think about being weird, but you're not completely you in that area because you've been guarding it, so to speak, all your life. And those personality traits, after a while, are not, not going to be supported by anything. They're going to go away. So that's one. You're going to get pain. And it won't be all the time, but you will get it. And especially with really big events, it'll be like that. Number two is you're going to get lots of attacks. But mostly people don't recognize what attacks look like. And so they don't understand. So the devil, most attacks the devil has are sniping type things, I would, I would call it. That's what they had to put it. Where he, you get in situations where people will just say something. And they're not necessarily mean to be mean, but the devil sets it up. So they say the wrong thing at the wrong time. It just hits you, you know. And just like, ow! You know, I was just working on that. And it's, it's, it's kind of, it's sort of like drive you away from that, not trust in the Lord. Because on the inside it hurts, on the outside I'm getting these things. I'm being reminded of stuff. And it's be sniping. So it isn't necessarily people. He'll just draw your attention to something where you look at something. You, you read an article, which is exactly the thing that you went through, which was right then. And all brings all this stuff back. It's like, oh, you know, all these memories you're trying not to think. Those are the kind of sniping attacks to try to discourage a person from going ahead by people making these sharp remarks, by looking at the wrong thing in the media. And, and those are the two things, I just say those two things, really, really common, and just be aware of those.